You are listening to Rare Voices, the show that reveals the wisest path to a fulfilled life for patients with rare and orphan disorders. Brought to you by the people of OptimiCare. I'm your host, Donovan Quill. Some people have a unique combination of visionary genius and thoughtful character. They connect the head and the heart. That's why you get to know our next guest, Ken Greathouse, a veteran commercialization guru and a great friend of mine. Ken comes to us with decades-long viewpoints of developing innovative therapies. He has a 10-year and proven track record in commercialization sales and marketing of pharmaceuticals. He is an entrepreneurial thinker, someone who sees opportunity where others sees barriers. When Ken sold Manchester Pharmaceuticals, he created the Great House Family Foundation with his wife, three boys, and daughter-in-law in order to give back and fund research for orphan and rare disorders. The phrase, the way we have always done it, does not apply to Ken. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Ken Greathouse. Ken, what, what is it that compelled you to get into uh, drug, drug development and, and what really drew you to far, the pharmaceutical industry? Well, when I was uh, when I was in college, uh, I was uh, pre-med uh, for my first uh, three years. And then in the fourth year, I made a decision to um, switch my emphasis into the business school and graduated uh, with a business degree, but with strong science background. And it was my uh, it was my counselor at Cal who suggested that pharmaceuticals might be an interesting intersection for uh, science and business. So uh, that's, uh, that's how I uh, got involved in pharmaceuticals to begin with. Oh, that's pretty awesome. Um, so looking at that and, and looking at your background, um, I know that you have a lot of, uh, a lot of background in, in rare and orphan uh, disorders and patient populations. What are some of the things specifically that, that got you interested in that in the rare and orphan sector? Well, in my in my early career in the pharmaceutical business, it was it was mostly with big pharma, and uh, we didn't spend a lot of time um, really trying to understand uh, the various issues that patients were having to deal with. We were we were more interested in how we were going to effectively market products to physicians and. Um, and it wasn't until uh, I moved from the big pharma company to a very small startup company called Athena Neurosciences, which today is part of Elon, that I became exposed to the rare disease community. We had uh, a product for Parkinson's disease uh, that we were marketing. And in order to effectively do that, we actually had to interface with the patient support groups. Uh, and really try to understand what these patients were dealing with. So I, I got my initial exposure there. And then from, from that, uh, when, I, um, when I left Athena uh, and joined a little company called QuestCore Pharmaceuticals, um, I uh, became involved with a product called Acthar Gel. And Acthar Gel is a, an older product, um, but a product that is critically important for a very rare epilepsy or very rare seizure syndrome uh, referred to as infantile spasm. 
And Actar gel was the only thing that would uh, abort seizures in these newborn children. And without uh, without aborting the seizures, uh, the prognosis for the children from a learning disability standpoint was not good. Um, so we brought that product into uh, QuestCore, uh, made QuestCore into a sort of a powerhouse. Uh, today, uh, that's part of um, that's part of Malincrot. Um, and then from there, um, as I stepped out of uh, QuestCore to form uh, the first drug development company that I that I uh, got involved with, uh, I always had it in the back of my mind that uh, I wanted to be sensitive and aware and looking for opportunities in the rare disease market. Uh, I had strong contacts at... Uh, at FDA and the Office of Orphan Products, uh, at NIH with the Rare Disease Group there, and uh, with the uh, uh, the umbrella uh, organization NORD, uh, National Organization for Rare Diseases. So I I kept those contacts up, and it was it was actually in um, I guess 2006 that a friend of mine at FDA called one afternoon and um, said they had an issue with a product that was going to go off the market for a very, very ultra rare um, disease. Um, And would we uh, be interested in taking a look at trying to develop it to keep it on the market? And that was the genesis of a company called Manchester Pharmaceuticals. Uh, And Manchester uh, did bring that product or kept that product on the market for these patients. Uh, when, you know, a, a large company would probably have not even looked at this twice because the patient population is about 100 patients in, in the United States. Um, but we got involved in that, um, successfully launched a second product um, in the rare disease area in that company. And then in 2014, uh, we sold Manchester to a small company called Retrofen. Um, so I've, I've been in and around the rare disease community for a long time, um, and it has sort of a special place for me. Yeah, and I, I know, you know, we've worked together over the years to, uh, in, in a lot of those are different roles. Um, so looking at the success you've had, uh, it's, it's obviously given you the opportunity to, you know, be a founder, co-founder, CEO, board member for a lot of different organizations. And, you know, I, I know that's, you know, a lot of it's, ba- you know, balancing your time, but I know you also have to really do your homework on these organizations to see if they, if they fit, you know, your, your needs. Um, so how do you size up those opportunities and how do you, how do you look at, you know, each of those things that you're part of? You know, can you can you walk through kind of your uh, your due diligence per se in uh, in in how you become that CEO, co-founder, board member in those different organizations? Well, so I think one of the things that kind of cuts across all of um, sort of the decision making about what to spend my time pursuing is uh, will, does it have the opportunity, whatever I do. Will it have the opportunity to make a meaningful impact on on patients' lives? And most of what I get involved with uh, is is in the pharmaceutical business. It's it's either in the rare disease community or it's 
Um, uh, it's something related to uh, improving patient care uh, or patient outcomes. Um, and, uh, and I have a particular interest in uh, neurological uh, diseases and neurological conditions. Um, so, for example, um, I agreed a few years ago to go on the board of a small company called Zosano Pharma, uh, which was, is pursuing a product for uh, migraine. Uh, and migraine doesn't qualify for the, the definition of rare disease. Uh, there's, uh, unfortunately, many more than 200,000 uh, patients that suffer from migraine. But the thing that drew me to Zosano is that the technology there is delivering existing therapy, the, the triptan type products that are used for migraine, but solving a problem for patients in terms of rapidity of action. Uh, when patients have a migraine, they can't wait or they don't want to wait uh, an hour for uh, a tablet or a capsule to be swallowed and start to work in their bodies. They're in serious pain. And so Zosano had a technology, has a technology that allows for immediate uh, delivery of product without having to do an injection. These are, um, these are uh, titanium micro needles that are uh, coated with the drug and put into a patch that can just be put onto the arm uh, like a normal like a normal transdermal patch might be. So that I, I believed in the technology, I believed in the uh, effect that it could have, the positive effect it could have on patients' lives, uh, and that's really and truly what drew me to Zosana. Um, the other things that I've gotten involved in, I think there has always been a patient improvement or a patient outcomes improvement overlay. Um, I look for that. That's, that's important to me. And, and that, that's been evident since I, since I've got to know you. Um, and I want to, you know, touch on, on two of those things. Um, I know, you know, as you're, you're on those boards and you're, and you're looking for things that could you know, help with patient improvement. Um, one of the areas that, that really, you know, impresses me and, uh, you know, I think will impress the audience listening is your work with the, uh, the Great House uh, Family Foundation. And, you know, can you give a little bit of background on that and kind of how you got started, you know, what your goals are there and, and you know, where, where it stemmed from? Sure. Um, well, my wife and I, uh, when we put our estate plan together years ago, we, uh, we had built into our estate plan that what, whatever we could pass along to our three boys uh, when, we, uh, when we departed this world, we would like to have them understand that there needed to be a strong philanthropic component to how they uh, dealt with whatever uh, estate we, we would be ultimately leaving to them. Um, and so that was already baked into our, into our you know, early estate planning. Well, I mentioned earlier in, in this discussion that in 2014, uh, we were able to sell the Manchester company. And the proceeds from that sale caused my wife and I to reevaluate uh, exactly how we might um, uh, show the the three boys uh, 
uh, how to approach a philanthropic uh, use of uh, of estate funds. And so what we what we did is we decided to go ahead and form uh, the Great House Family Foundation. We put the three boys and my oldest son's wife, who's a who's an ER nurse. Uh, we put them on the board. And the six of us set about trying to determine exactly what the charter for the foundation was and how we were going to operate. And it was actually my daughter-in-law that um, that came up with uh, one of the key focus areas that that the foundation today is is uh, acting on. And it, it, she asked us a pretty simple question. She said, "Well." Dad, where does, you know, the funding for the foundation, where is it coming from? And I said, well, it came from the sale of the Manchester company. And she said, well, that was all about rare diseases, wasn't it? And I said, well, yes, it was. And she said, well, wouldn't it, wouldn't it make sense to look to try to give back uh, to that rare disease community? Maybe we should focus the foundation's efforts, at least in part, on uh, rare disease um, type uh, research. So that's, and that's what we're doing. Uh, one of the projects, the initial project that we got involved with uh, is a, uh, a, a young researcher at Stanford University who is um, researching uh, a condition called neurofibromatosis type one, which is a rare disease that affects um, young children, um, and it's, it's a chronic condition uh, for which, until just recently, there were no therapies uh, available. Um, the natural course of the disease was not well known, and this researcher had some ideas about exactly how to go about quantifying the, the history of the disease to better understand when you do have a therapy uh, is the therapy going to me make a meaningful effect on this chronic disease? And so we've been, through the foundation, we've been sponsoring uh, that work. Um, we, we've, uh, additionally, we've gotten involved in sponsoring research at Stanford into uh, a very particular area of cardiovascular disease, which on the surface is not uh, a rare disease, but this particular subset is, uh, and we're really excited about that. It's targeting a protein called CD47, which uh, inhibiting that may very well prevent plaque from laying down in the arterial walls and uh, causing cardiovascular disease. Uh, we've gotten involved in a project with uh, Sutter Health, a large hospital system, here in California, looking at um, the impact that sepsis has on hospitalizations of patients. Again, focusing on improving outcomes for, uh, for patients. And then the most recent one that we're really excited to get involved in is a, uh, a condition called acoustic neuroma. Uh, these are serious tumors that develop um, slowly over time in, on patients' um, audio nerves uh, that run to the brain. And uh, if left unchecked, uh, patients will ultimately lose their hearing. Um, and so we're excited to get involved with uh, this organization, the Acoustic Neuroma Association, in terms of helping to sponsor 
some meaningful research in, uh, that can impact uh, patients that are having to live with these um, acoustic neuroma tumors. So it's, um, you know, it's been a wonderful experience for our family. It's actually in many ways brought our family closer together. Um, and it's really rewarding to me to see the three boys uh, get so actively involved and so excited about uh, uh, this sort of philanthropic approach. That's amazing, and, and and you know I congratulate you on uh, on putting all that together, and and you know and and taking the time to create the foundation, and you know we just look forward to the future and see what that holds for uh, all the the great work that you're doing from a research perspective and you know and, and a patient care perspective. So thinking about that and 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 looking at all that great work that you that you're doing, um, when a therapeutic opportunity comes available and, and you look at that landscape of rare and orphan products, what what stands out you to out to you these days? What are some of the novel things some of the companies are doing? And and you know, and, and on the flip side of that is what's what's kind of escaping people's attention when they really think about that the the rare and orphan disease space? Well, that's, I mean, that is a good question. I think the, the most exciting thing that I see on the horizon uh, for the rare disease community is the potential impact that gene therapies in the future hold uh, for rare diseases, especially for single point gene uh, mutation rare diseases, of which there are a number. Um, and I think, I think over the course of the next maybe 10 years or so, I will be shocked if we don't uh, start to unravel some of the mysteries of some of these heretofore untreatable rare diseases. And I think gene therapies, along with sort of specific diagnostic tests that will go along, um, hold great, great promise. Um, one, one of the things that has happened in the rare disease community over the time that I've been involved is the, the players that are involved in the community have changed. Uh, when I first got involved in, in rare diseases, there were no big pharma companies involved in rare disease. Uh, it was all small little startup companies and many of them companies where the, the entrepreneur that was starting the company had a specific personal tie to the rare disease that um, the company was uh, trying to solve. Um, as a result, there, there was progress made during that time, but there wasn't the, there wasn't the type of resource available uh, that a big pharma company has to be able to um, spend at a level uh, that would ensure uh, breakthrough type therapies. And so it was a bit hit and miss um, in the early days as the big companies started to wake up to the potential need and opportunity in the rare disease community. Uh, it has fostered much, much more attention from a resource standpoint. And I think that is ultimately going to bear tremendous fruit for the patients that suffer from a lot of these very, very rare diseases that normally would not uh, be able to draw the resources to uh, try to come up with a, uh, with a therapy. So I think that, that the involvement of big pharma companies and the resources they can bring 
uh, is certainly a change that I'm very hopeful will, you know, will be positive for the future. I think with respect to possible gene therapies, it's almost only the big pharma companies that will have the requisite resources to be able to tackle that. Um, so I think that's, that's been a, that's been sort of a, a, a big change, uh, over the years. I think one of the areas that I, I am a little bit concerned about, um, and I think does, does create a potential hazard for the rare, rare disease community going forward is as, as, more and more diseases are sliced and diced into smaller uh, subsets, and those smaller subsets uh, become, uh, they qualify for uh, sort of uh, categorization as a rare disease. Um, There's going to be more and more pressure on the healthcare system from an economic standpoint because the therapies for rare diseases are expensive therapies. And I think one of the shortcomings that I see in terms of um, what is happening right now is I I think companies that are developing products for rare diseases are not spending enough time establishing the value proposition for, for those therapies that they're bringing forward. Um, and I think payers, uh, insurance companies and payers that have to shoulder the economic burden of, uh, of providing the, the products to patients, they need that information. They need information that can give them comfort that there is a positive value proposition for these products. And so one of the things that I think is just absolutely incredibly important for companies that are involved in the rare disease community today and and intend to be in the future is more effort needs to be put in in the clinical trial stage of the development of these products to look at the economic consequences of bringing forward the therapy. Um, and I think to the extent that companies do that, then I think there will be, there will be uh, justifications for the products and for the cost of the products. But I think if, if that's not done, then I, I see a, a potential um, problem looming on the horizon that uh, we, may be, we may, may be very difficult to deal with. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more with that. And, and kind of tying into that, you know, obviously uh, taking the, the things that the economic uh, hazards that they, they look at in clinical trial phase, what are some of the areas um, that they can use with that through commercialization that are, that are ripe for innova- innovation um, as they bring a product to the market through that clinical trial phase through commercialization? Well, so cl- good question. I, I think that that there needs to be some non-traditional thinking that is brought to bear here on on this question. Uh, traditionally, with clinical trials, the focus is on the medical aspects of the clinical trial. Um, so the trial is designed specifically to show 
that the drug that's being brought forward is making an effect clinically on the on the disease that uh, is 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 attempting to be treated, um, and, and that the uh, that the safety of the product from a side effects standpoint is acceptable and is quantifiable, so that clinicians will know how to make that risk benefit trade off decision when they when they try to decide whether to pre prescribe the the product for a patient. What's lost in in that approach are the are the the costs and the benefits that underlie uh, either uh, having a patient be be saddled with the disease and all the um, and all the consequences, the social consequences, the cultural consequences of the disease. Um, there there is there is value there in terms of making someone productive. If someone has a rare disease that's debilitating uh, and they can't work, well, the cost to the, to the system is not the cost of providing their care. It's, it's, it's the opportunity cost of them not being productive in society. Um, and, and that affects not only the patient themselves, but that has spillover effect to their families and their caregivers. And so there are, there are value levers um, that I think need to be explored in terms of putting together a, uh, a sort of a comprehensive value proposition that looks at something more than just the effect of the drug on the disease. It needs to have a more holistic look at the patient, the patient's family, and then sort of the, you know, the, um, the contribution that the patient can make to society at large if they're disease-free. I couldn't agree more, and especially since I, I saw firsthand, you know, in my family, a debilitating, you know, orphan disorder. So, you know, I, I, I saw the, uh, you know, the effects of, of what, a, what a medication can do and a whole pro holistic program can do for the overall health of the patient. Um, and their productive production in society. So, you know, I couldn't agree more with those statements. Um, you know, recently, uh, you, I know you serve on a lot of boards and, and, and work with a lot of different companies, but recently you were uh, made a board member of Optimi Care. And I know this podcast is usually sponsored by Optimi Care, but um, I just want to say congratulations uh, first and foremost for that. And, you know, what does that mean to you and, and, and how does it fit in uh, with your larger vision for rare and orphan population, patient populations? Well, I'm I'm thrilled to uh, join the board at Optimi. I um, Optimi's business strategy to me provides a provides a, a lot of meaningful value to a number of stakeholders in the rare disease community, um, to physicians, to patients, to payers, to uh, pharmaceutical companies. I think Optimi sits at the intersection of all of these stakeholders and as a result is able to solve problems for each of these stakeholders in a coordinated fashion that is just lacking um, in traditional pharmacy uh, operations. Um, and so I, you know, I've, I've been involved with specialty pharmacy for uh, you know, a number of years. 
um, actually operated a, a, a specialty pharmacy operation for a while um, in the early days. Um, and I, I believe in the concept. Uh, the concept um, provides sensitive um, approaches to uh, dealing with issues that patients face day in, day out. It solves problems for all the stakeholders I just, I just mentioned. And so I think that the future for specialty pharmacy is, uh, is extremely bright uh, as personalized medicine becomes much more prevalent. Um, the ability to provide specialized services related to, um, to that is going to become even more important. And I'm, I'm just thrilled with the opportunity that I see that Optimi has going forward. Thanks. Um, so since this show is called Rare Voices, what's one thing that you think is not said enough in our patient care industry? Well, certainly from, from the pharmaceutical side uh, of patient care, I think that too often we get, um, we get caught up in sort of the business aspects of what we're doing and we uh, we in many in many cases we sort of lose sight of what's important to patients, and and ultimately we're here uh, and and we're involved in activities that really are focused on improving the lives of patients that live with these rare diseases, and I think we have to make sure that um, our decision making is is and continues to be. Uh, sensitive to the issues that patients face. I think if we do that, then I think we will be successful and, and the future for uh, pharmaceutical development and commercialization in this area will be, will be strong. If we lose sight of that, then I think the opposite will probably be the case. Great. So looking at the horizon, what's, uh, what's next for, for Ken Greathouse and, and how can people learn more about you and your organizations? Well, so I am involved in a lot right now. <laughs> we, <laughs> we, my wife keeps asking me uh, when, I when will I intend to retire? And I said, well, I don't know what that means. What does that mean? <laughs> um, so I think as... Um, the future is opportunistic, uh, and there are if you're open to opportunities, they're they're sitting there all the time. Uh, and so, what I'm what I'm trying to do, and I think where the future will probably take me, is continue to be open and sensitive and um, able to see new opportunities that maybe others uh, are not, uh, and. I think a lot of that will still be focused uh, on drug development uh, because that's that's where I do spend a fair amount of my time. Um, there are some areas, some therapy areas that I'm I'm kind of interested in uh, seeing about some new potential new ventures, but we'll have to see how that uh, <laughs> how that develops over time. Perfect. Thank you, Ken. You've been listening to Rare Voices, brought to you by the people of OptimiCare. If you want to hear more Rare Voices, go to rare-voices.com.
There you can learn about our shows, read articles from industry thought leaders, and fill out a form to be a guest on Rare Voices. Again, that's rare-voices.com. I'm Donovan Quill, co-founder of OptimiCare. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to listen for more Rare Voices all around you each and every day. Thank you.